0: So as we get ready to head for Easter, I want to remind you, Easter uh, on that weekend is Saturday night at 6. We have a service and Sunday morning at 8, 9.30, and 11.15. And I know 11.15, you're not even thinking about going to 8 a.m., are you? Yeah, no, you're not. I appreciate that. All right, And, and so we're going to have those services that morning. But I want to encourage you to be thinking this way about the entire weekend when it comes to Easter. Easter starts on Good Friday because you can't have resurrection unless you go through crucifixion. That's just the way that it works. So I want to encourage you on that Friday, that Easter weekend, 7 o'clock here in the worship center. All of our campuses are coming back together again. Southside, Sudden Valley, Ferndale, we're all going to be here together. The Ecclesia crew is going to come and join us as well. We're having one service here at 7 o'clock where we, of course, we serve communion. It's a time of great worship. And I just want to encourage you to have that Friday night experience so that Easter weekend becomes so much more meaningful when you understand the price that Jesus paid. Now, one of the questions with Mike's transition is so, what are we doing with worship and Easter and all the rest of that? Uh, One of the blessings that Mike brought us is he. Hired a guy by the name of Ryan Spiker, um, and Pastor Ryan is going to be stepping completely into that role during that time. He's actually going to be leading our charge creatively through Easter. Um, he was the creative guy uh, that did a lot of the work over the Christmas season as well. And so you can you can hug Mike and love and pray and support Pastor Ryan as he makes his transition as well. But Easter is going to be amazing, and I actually want to speak to you about what happens during Easter and why we do what we do every year for the past 16 years after the Easter services. I I've seen God do a miracle in the back room back here, uh, backstage, that has been lovingly nicknamed the delivery room on Easter weekend. Because that's where spiritual babies are literally born. And over the last 16 years, I have seen atheists become believers. I've seen prodigals be reestablished as sons and daughters, not only of God, but of actually being brought back into families. I've seen people who are completely resistant to the message of Jesus become a receiver of his amazing amazing grace and backstage i've seen it i've seen tears pour down a person's face as they were melting away god was just melting away years of anger i've seen a gentle prayer between strangers allow a flood of forgiveness to come in and touch people i've seen people who were completely hopeless when they walked in the door have hope be established in their life and i can tell you after 16 years it never ever ever gets old Seeing Jesus transform a life, it never gets old. But there's another part of the morning and that Saturday night that I love, as much as love seeing the transformation of what happens, I love what I call the reunion hallway. So there's a hallway back here and people come forward on Easter. Then we go into this back room and nobody does anything weird. It's just an opportunity to pray and make sure people know what the decision was that they made. And then they exit out this back hallway and they have a reunion with whoever it was that brought them to church that morning. And it's an amazing moment because I just see, here's a person who took an incredible spiritual risk and brought and included somebody into the same grace that God had instilled into them. And so they walk alongside and all of a sudden there's this friendship, there's this bond because somebody took a chance and invited them to Easter. Every time a person is brought to Jesus, something changes. There's a spiritual dynamic, and you find it all the way through Scripture. People bringing people to Jesus. Let me give you some examples. Matthew 15, verse 30. Great crowds came to him, bringing the lame, the blind, the crippled, the mute, and many others, and laid them at his feet, and he healed them. Mark chapter 2, verse 3. Some men came, bringing to him a paralyzed man carried by four of them. Mark chapter 10. People were bringing little children to Jesus for him to place his hands on them. So somebody... Made a decision that what I had received from Jesus, I actually want to give away. And so they actually know. They isolate the fact that, that I may not be able to meet the mental, social, emotional, physical, whatever needs this person has. But if I can bring them to Jesus, he is the one that can't. I can do nothing for them, but he can do everything for them. So all through scripture, Jesus keeps saying, bring them to me. Bring them to me. The hurting, the angry, the disillusioned, the sick, the rebellious. The one who thinks they've got it all taken care of. You bring them to me and watch me transform them. That's what Easter is here Christ the King. It's an open door to bring people to Jesus. I don't know why, but there's something that happens at Easter and Christmas that just softens the heart of a human being that allows them to be just a little bit more receptive to the message of the fact that God loves them and God wants to do something incredible in their life. Well, in this series called Chameleon, we've been seeing now, God has called us as a church to stand out against the backdrop of popular culture. That can be a scary thing to do, but we have to believe in that moment that God's going to keep his promise and protect us if we're willing to stand out against the backdrop of popular culture. And when we do that, an amazing thing happens. We actually blend in to another backdrop of God's grace and mercy and forgiveness. That's what chameleons do, right? They blend in. They camouflage. camouflage. They change colors when they're staking territory. Last week, we learned that they actually are communicating. They change colors when they're communicating what they love and what they want. And what we want to walk through today is this simple deal. God wants every single person in Whatcom County that doesn't know Jesus to come to a saving knowledge of Him. That's what God wants, and He wants us to participate. Not just to blend into the backdrop of popular culture, but to stand out and to be those people who have the audacity in this culture to say, we believe that Jesus loves you. We don't care what he's done, what you've done in your past. We care that he paid the price that you can't pay, and we believe that God wants a relationship with you. So today, God's going to talk to us about the true colors of bringing and including. Here's just some thoughts to get us started, okay? If you look at the pattern through Scripture of people that brought people to Jesus, here's what you learn immediately. Those who did the bringing had a relationship with and a responsibility for the ones that they brought, especially in the first century. The church took their job very seriously, that they were on mission to reach the entire world for Jesus. So they took risks, and they crossed bridges of friendship And they shared with them, this is what God did for me, and I believe he can do exactly the same thing for you. Now, we've got to make sure that this is clear, all right? Sharing about Jesus and inviting somebody to church are not the same thing, okay? When you share with someone about Jesus, that's your story, that's your reality and the beautiful thing about it is, it is your reality and it's very difficult for someone to argue against your reality because it's your reality, all right? So when you share Jesus personally with someone, that is a powerful, spiritual, personal moment. When you just invite somebody to church, basically what happens is you get them through the front door and then you shift all the responsibility to me and hope and pray that I don't mess it up. No pressure, right? Right? It happened this morning before the 9.30 service. Guy walking in, I'm standing in the hallway over there, and he's just like, I brought my friend with me. Don't mess this up. I'm like, <laughs> There's a powerful difference between the two, right? Now, I'm not discouraging you from inviting people to church. I want you to invite people to church, but I also want you to know this. This church building is simply a tool. It's a tool for the big C church, which is all of you, to use As a gathering point, this is just an opportunity. This is a building where the church meets. And you're the church, and when we gather and bring others with us, we're simply opening the door for God to have a conversation with someone that that he loves more than we could ever possibly love. So I want to add this, okay? So make sure we know this. Inviting is beneficial. That's helpful. It's amazing. But bringing is optimal. Inviting someone is great, but if you abandon them as soon as you walk through the front door and hope that they just are able to navigate their way through this building, that is, I don't believe that's responsible, all right? It's probably not going to happen. But if you bring them, if you sit with them, if you explain to them that the coffee is free and we don't want anything from them, if you explain why the guy up front cries every single week, that would be helpful, right? Right? if you hang out with them afterwards, if you're available to answer questions, then what you're doing is you're bringing them and walking a spiritual journey with them that ultimately will end at the cross of Christ. We all need to be that kind of person. We are not proponents of drive-by invitations to Christ the King. We want people to bring and include and invite with a personal responsibility attached to it. Let me give you a beautiful example from scripture of bringing and including. Guy by the name of Barnabas, okay? Barnabas is an amazing guy in scripture because he's just a humble encourager. Verse 22 of Acts chapter 11 says this, news of this. Now let me tell you what this is. This is the fact that the church was exploding. It was growing at unbelievable record, unprecedented paces, And people were coming to Jesus by the thousands. And people were trying to figure out, who is this Jesus guy? Is the story true that he died on a cross and was actually resurrected and came back to life? And the church is exploding. So news of this reached the church in Jerusalem where it started. And they sent Barnabas to Antioch. Let me stop there for a second. Why did they send Barnabas? They sent Barnabas because Barnabas had a magical, mystical, complex tool for drawing people towards Christ. And I don't know if we have the brain power or the capacity to understand how unbelievably magical, mystical, and supernatural his complex plan was for inviting people into the kingdom. But I'm going to give it my best shot. Okay, are you ready for it? This was Barnabas' complex plan for evangelizing the world. Are you ready? He encouraged people. Period. What? That's what he did. His name literally means the son of encouragement. He wasn't an apologetics major. He wasn't a theology professor. He was an encourager. He was a man of faith. Verse 23: When he arrived and saw what the grace of God had done, he was glad and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all of their hearts. Verse 24: He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith. And a great number of people were brought to the Lord. Encouragement and kindness. There's a strategy for you. An encouraging, kind guy filled with the Holy Spirit who had the faith to believe that what God had done for him, he could do for others. And the Bible tells us what happens. A great number of people were brought to the Lord. Why? Because one godly person filled with the Holy Spirit cared and encouraged and lived a life of faith where people could see it. He didn't just walk the walk and hope that somebody asked him a theological question. No, he walked and talked, grace and consistency. And the Bible says God used him in powerful ways. People came to know Jesus even though they'd never actually met Jesus physically and personally because this guy's testimony just kept bringing people into the family. Each one of us has that kind of a responsibility because each one of us has been strategically placed in this county to the maximum effect of the message of Jesus. I mean, here's the reality, right? God didn't put me where you live, he put you there. God didn't put me where you work, he put you there. God didn't put me in your social world. He put you in your social world. He put you there so that you would take the responsibility to be kind and courage and bring and include others into the same grace that you've experienced as a follower of Jesus. So I said I love the reunions that happen in the back hallway. I love those reunions because I've seen some unbelievable moments. Well, let me recap just a couple of them. From last year, this is my coworker. He has been inviting me to church forever. And I finally said yes just to get him off my back. And now look what happened. This is my friend from school. He invited me because he saw that I was going through a difficult time. And look what God did this morning. This is my best friend. She's been inviting me for years. And she never gave up. And I finally came. And I feel like God was speaking just to me this morning. This is my dad. He never gave up on me, even when I gave him every reason to. And now look at what God did. This is my favorite from last year. This is Rick. I met him at IHOP this morning. He invited me to church, and boom! (laughs) True story. I get to listen to so many stories of how God uses people that just have a heart to bring and include, to give away the very thing that we've been so touched by. So let me give you just some prime moments to bring and include, because I've been analyzing this kind of stuff for years. So here's some prime moments when your radar as a follower of Jesus should go like, ding, when it comes to expressing the heart of God to people, okay? When you hear these words, I'm in a crisis, that's an amazing moment to bring and include. It could be a death in the family. It could be a medical diagnosis that just rocks somebody's world. It could be the loss of a job. It could be news that that their kid somehow is in trouble. It could be any number of things. But what the person needs in that moment is someone who cares in a spiritual family that can help. Every single week, we make prayer opportunities available up here. People often come with a crisis. And I'll tell you what they don't need. They don't need spiritual pat answers. They don't need spiritual bumper stickers. They don't need someone to try and put a band-aid over top of the bullet hole in the middle of their soul. No, they simply need somebody who will give them the kind of hope. And we all know where hope comes from, don't we? Hope only comes from from Jesus. And in that moment, it's an opportunity to bring and include, just like, I would love to introduce you in the midst of your crisis to another group of people who've all experienced some kind of a crisis. And they found hope, not in a physical building, but they found hope in the God who's worshiped at that building. And he's the king of hope. And his name is Jesus. And what he did for me, he can do for you. So when I said that, I'm in crisis, immediately for most of you, somebody's face popped into your brain. A name jumped into your purview. Could that be the very person that God wants you to go and tap on the shoulder and say, I have no idea what you're doing for Easter this year? But I'd love to bring you with me because I'm going to go celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. Here's another one. When you hear this, I have a question. I just started writing down the spiritual questions that I've been asked over the last couple of weeks, sitting in coffee shops, hanging out in my office. What happens when you die? Why do bad things happen to good people? Why didn't God answer my prayer? What does the Bible have to say about violence in the Middle East? What does Jesus have to say about premarital sex? What does the Bible have to say about UFOs? That was an interesting one, yeah. (laughs) Where was God when I was being sexually abused? Why didn't God heal my mom from cancer? You know what I've learned in that moment? That person doesn't need a pre-processed spiritual bumper sticker. They need someone to care, step into the pain, and bring them to the God who has love and who has answers. We may not always like his answers, but he's the only one one who really knows how someone's going to navigate through that kind of a pain. You know, people freak out all the time. It's like, "But that's the reason I don't do this. I don't bring and include people because they may ask me a question I don't know the answer to. Can I tell you an appropriate answer? If you don't know the answer to their question, say this. I don't know. That's a good question. But would you come with me? Let's go find an answer together. I'm not just going to ignore the fact that God put you right in front of me right now. Would you come with me? Let's go together and see whether or not we can find some answers. Here's another opportunity. When you hear these words, I'm in transition. Now, it may come in lots of different ways. I'm new around here. Hey, I don't really know anybody from around here. I'm new to Western. I'm new to Watkins. I'm new to the the Northwest Indian College. I just moved to Bellingham. What they're really saying is I'm looking for a community. I'm looking for somewhere to belong. It could be all different kinds of transitions. Hey, we just became empty nesters. Hey, I just got out of a relationship. Hey, I just lost my spouse after 42 years. In that moment, what they're saying, saying, I'm looking for community. Well, what kind of a community can we, call, can we call ourselves a loving community if in that moment we don't actually extend a hand of love to somebody? When people are reaching out for friendship, I believe God's placed a responsibility on us to reach back to them in friendship because that's what he did for each one of us. So I just want to encourage you. Somebody new moves into your neighborhood, be the first one on the doorstep. Somebody new moves into your your apartment complex, be the first person to knock on the door. Say hi, you may be new. My name's so-and-so. It's nice to meet you. You might be surprised what God might do with that little hallway conversation. Here's another opportunity, okay? When you hear this, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do been keeping track over the last couple of months. I think I might have a drinking problem. I don't know what to do. My daughter told me she's cutting. I don't know what to do. I'm depressed. I don't know what to do. I don't know what my purpose is. I don't know what to do. I hate my job. I don't know what to do. In that moment, we identify that person's at a crossroads. And that's a lonely place to be. They don't need you to fix them. They just need you to care and to be able to say, you know what? I don't know what you're supposed to do either, but... I know a group of people who worships a king in heaven and he knows exactly what you're supposed to do. So when I said that into your brain right now, somebody's face just probably dropped. Could it be that God is tapping you on the shoulder saying, that's the one. Bring them to me and watch what I do. Now, I want to make sure we get this straight, okay? And I don't want you just sitting around waiting for verbal cues, hoping that somebody says something and go like, "Ah, I heard that in church. Hey you, here's an invitation." Okay, hold on, right? But here's another opportunity that I think we are so remiss. When you hear God speaking and God prompting you to act, then you're responsible to act. Here's what we learned in the conversating series. You can't hear if you're not listening. And as followers of Jesus, we should be listening, God, who do you want me to invest my time in? Who do you want me to invest my life in? All right? Now, people just freak out when they hear that. Just like, yeah, that would be weird. I'm afraid of what might happen to me if I actually respond to God's prompting and just kind of stick myself, insert myself into somebody else's life. I want to remind you from the beginning of the series, when we are willing to take those spiritual risks, God promises he will protect us. The question is, do we have the courage to take him at his word? I mean, let's just face it, right? The main reason people don't engage in bringing in including people is we're scared. It's fear, right? We fear rejection. We fear isolation. We fear judgment. We fear that they're going to label us, right? And God keeps saying, look, just trust me. Bring them to me. I'll protect you. And I'll watch over them. So because I know that that's a fear for all of us, here's what we're going to do right now. We're going to be skinning the chameleon of insecurity and fear, okay? Some of you are animal rights activists. Relax, okay? No reptiles were harmed in the formation of this message, just so you're clear, okay? But we're going to skin the chameleon of insecurity and fear with a two-edged sword from Scripture, a scalpel of the Bible that's going to fillet open our fear and hopefully replace it with hope. The Bible says this. So let's just, let's just be honest, right? We're having a moment right now. It's like, yeah, I don't know if I want to do this. I don't know if I want to bring and include anybody. That kind of freaks me out. The Bible says this, Galatians 1.10. Am I now trying to win the approval of human beings or of God? Or am I trying to please people? If I were still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. So here's the question. Whose approval do you care more about? The God who called you to stand out or the world that begs you to blend in? Which one is truly your God? Because you will obey the one that truly is God. Here's a sobering verse from Matthew chapter 10. Whoever acknowledges me before others, I will also acknowledge before my Father in heaven. But whoever disowns me before others, I will disown before my Father in heaven. I'd love to tell you that that doesn't mean what it sounds like it means, but it does. God says, if you're ashamed of me, you're going to put me in a position whether or not I'm going to attach my name to you. Tough verse, sobering verse. We just get so wrapped up in the fear of man. Proverbs 29, 25, the fear of man lays a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. They're safe. I mean, let's face it, right? The fear of man fear of what other people are going to think or say. It's stolen dreams, silenced dreamers, killed ideas, stolen creativity. I read my Bible and it tells me the fear of God, which doesn't mean to be afraid of God, but to have such awe and respect for who he is and understanding that he is God and I am not. The fear of God should actually birth dreams, embolden dreamers, spark ideas, and ignite creativity. I mean, of all the people on the face of the planet that should be able to have these kinds of conversations, it should be the people that God has already saved. Amen? Really believe that. Hebrews 13, 6, so we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? I love that question. What can man do to me? Talk behind my back? Really? The devil talks in front of me all the time and accuses me of all kinds of stuff, right? That doesn't stop us. You know, are we afraid because they might call us names? You know? Sticks and stones may break. Really? And Just like someone may actually call you. You know, like, Fishbook's a Bible thumper. Guilty. That guy's a Jesus freak guilty it's the kind of boldness that i believe god calls all of us to you know are we afraid because well they might say something bad about jesus (laughs) you want to pick a fight with a lion be my guest here's what i know when i bring people to jesus i'm trusting that god will deliver them and protect me so here's what we're inviting you to do again We're inviting you to participate with us in the ministry of bringing and including. I'd love to share the joy of Easter with you so I'm not the only person that gets the thrill out of seeing people's lives be completely transformed. So as you're leaving today out in the commons, there is a table wrapped with a great big teal thing that you had to try and navigate around when you walked in this morning. It was kind of hard to miss if you came in the front door, okay? And on that little side, there's a table, and there's a sign that says Easter, and on that table are uh, Easter invitations. And they're not designed to be stuck under windshield wiper blades or to be randomly stuck anonymously in mailboxes. They were designed for a person, a living, breathing human being, to approach someone that they believe God loved enough to die for and to say something as simple as, I have no idea what your plans for Easter are. But I'm going to Christ the King Community Church to celebrate the fact that Jesus is alive. And I'd like to bring you with me. Simple as that. I want to encourage you before you just do that and have that conversation. To pray over that little piece of paper. And to pray something like, Jesus, I believe that you want to draw every person to yourself. And I thank you for the honor of being able to participate with you. So right now I'm asking, would you transform this tiny little piece of paper into an opportunity for someone to have their eternity saved? Amen. And off you go. I'm going to ask you to do me a favor, okay? Don't take 25 if you don't have 25 people to give them to. Don't take 25 and have them sitting on on the front seat of your car for the next two and a half to three weeks. We want to be good stewards. They actually cost money, and so I just want you to be thinking about that. If you've got eight people that you want to invite to Easter, take eight. Come back next week and get more. If there's two people that God has tapped you on the shoulder with, take two. But Make it personal. Make it your own. We're going to have an opportunity this Easter to participate in Ephesians 2.13. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. And if God could bring you near, how amazing would it be if you could bring somebody else with you? So, as I wrap up today, I got a question for you. Who brought you? Now, I know there's a very small portion that would say, you know what? It was a God appointment. Jesus just basically picked me up, dragged me to a certain place, and that's where I had my encounter. But for most of the people in the room, if I asked you the question, who brought you, you could probably picture someone who invested in you. I got a list of names. Ernie Fishbook. Franklin McDowell. Bob Dunlop. David Boys. Ellery Pullman. They would not let me go. They chased me. Different seasons of my life. They would not be denied. And I stand here today because they brought and included me when I was messed up. And they brought me to Jesus. They couldn't save me. They brought me to Jesus Everything changed. They were the ones that brought me who brought you. And what if you could be that person for somebody else this Easter? You know what I'd love to bless you with? An opportunity to have a reunion in a back hallway when somebody walks out the door and says, Jesus just saved my life. And you, you, you brought me. Let's pray. God, thank you for this morning and an opportunity to worship you. We give you all praise in this place. Lord, may we be those that bring and include. I thank you for your heart. And I pray, Lord, as we leave today and we grab these invitations that we would see them as opportunities to bring to bring people to Jesus. And we will give you all of the honor and glory. Lord, if it's just one, it will be worth it. But Lord, we pray for hundreds this Easter to come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, to have their sin forgiven and their eternity secured. And we pray these things in Jesus' precious name. All God's people said, amen.